Welcome to Export Stories, a podcast featuring first-person insights from the wide and sometimes crazy world of U.S. exporting. Your host for Export Stories is Betsy Olam, president of Olam International, a U.S.-based export management company. Betsy has made a 37-year career of developing global sales and distribution for U.S. companies. Like you, she loves great stories. You don't have to be an exporter to enjoy the stories we're going to share with you each month. We're so glad you've joined us. Now, here is Betsy to introduce today's podcast. Hello, bonjour, hola, konnichiwa, ni hao, marhaben, and shalom. Welcome to Export Stories. I'm your host, Betsy Olam, and we have a fascinating guest on our podcast today. Thank you for joining us and listening. Today, we are joined by Bob Rigori, president of Biomicrobics, Inc., Cyanco, Fast, and Septitech, and he is speaking to us from their headquarters in Kansas. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you. Um, you know, the biomicrobics motto, I guess you would call it, better water, better world, may say it all, but it's what an important topic we're going to cover today, the issue of water reuse and why it's so important. But before we get to that, I know that our listeners would like to hear your background story. So you mind talking just for a minute about where you came from and how you came to your position with biomicrobics? Yeah, it's a little bit unusual. Um, uh, I was reared in central New Jersey and um, back in the seventies, I wasn't a very good high school student. So I was working as a boilermaker to get through both uh, high school and college. And, uh, I ended up making many of our nation's light water cooling tanks for the nuclear power plants because I was building pressure vessels for process water. Wow. Uh, I, I, but my uh, formal education is in commerce with a heavy emphasis in uh, strategic marketing, management, economics, statistical analysis, and business law Mm -hmm. and advertising. Uh, although those aren't my natural skills advertising. I just wanted to know the information. Uh, I then uh, came here to Kansas and started putting up large wastewater plants and some water plants, union, non-union, and prevailing wages all throughout the U.S., and then uh, Bahamas, and then uh, many in Mexico. And then it was in 1976, I started Biomicrobics to do decentralized wastewater, water, gray water, stormwater treatment systems, and that morphed into further acquisitions of other companies and technologies to include uh, marine sanitation devices for ships and offshore platforms. And our most recent one uh, is uh, ballast water treatment systems. It also morphed into drinking water disinfection systems and then virus killing disinfection systems certified for all viruses, including the one we face now. Wow. Well, we definitely want to talk about that. Let me ask you something for uh, the lay person, which I am a member. What is gray water versus black water? I I have in my head what it is, but I'm sure it's wrong. So can you explain? Uh, Black water would be toilets, toilet flushing. Gray water would be showers and sinks and things of that nature. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, So no, you had it right. (laughs) <laughs> okay, uh, so let's talk about 
big picture right now, the issue of water reuse and why this is such a tremendous issue globally? So most of the world is water starved. Very few countries have more water than they'll ever need. For instance, Canada and Russia have more water than they have people that would use the water. But the rest of the world is water starved. And um, if you think about it, 97% of the world's water is salt water. Of the remaining 3%, which is fresh water, currently two thirds of that is still frozen in glaciers. So that leaves 1% of the water and it's the same 1% of the water that was used by the dinosaurs millions of years ago. So if you think about it, water has always been in the circular economy uh, as far as the world's been concerned. We just have to continue to find more and more efficient ways to create clean water from the existing water source that we have. So is um, desalination uh, uh, what are the major long-term solutions or not necessarily? Uh, it can be, but it's very expensive. It uses a lot of power. Uh, it creates a lot of salt reject. Uh, so uh, we're focusing on wastewater treatment and water reuse because that's a lot less expensive than trying to find uh, new water from desalinated water. I see. I see. And uh, that would include, I assume, water from manufacturing processes that you can clean and reuse? Correct. We do a lot of like slaughterhouses, juice factories, wineries, breweries, things like that. And they, they reuse the water for washdown. Uh, water reuse can be a lot of things. It could be makeup water for cooling towers. It could be water for fire water storage tanks. It could be water used in the desert to cure the concrete during the first two weeks so it doesn't crack in the heat. It could be washing the floors of these big box stores on the third shift from all the traffic from the first two shifts. Uh, it could be reused for flushing toilets. We are actually on a closed loop, <clears throat> we are actually on a closed loop system at Miami University where the dormitory students knowingly reuse the water for cooking, cleaning, washing, and the prof professor there knowingly reuses the water for drinking. Wow. Yeah, I wanted to ask about uh, if you had systems for potability. It sounds like you do uh, for creating potable water. Yeah, that project was funded by the National Science Foundation. They've since asked the University of Miami and Biomicrobics to expand the project to include more dormitories. Uh, and we've agreed to do that. That sounds like a huge market in the future. That's incredible. Um, so what makes your systems different from other systems, if you could say generally? Everything we do has to be simple, low cost, and robust. So simple to figure out which version to use, what model size to pick, and simple to install and maintain. Uh, robust means they last a really long time, at least 25 years. And low cost means that we're always within 10 to 20% of any other choice, but within one to three years, our life cycle costs are lower than virtually anyone else worldwide. Wow. Wow. Uh, 
it sounds like the markets and potential uses are just vast as far as the type of customers that you work with. I mean, so we're in over 80 countries with over 80,000 systems, uh, everything from uh, developed economies to emerging markets. So uh, United States, Canada, Mexico, uh, France, Greece, Ireland, New Zealand, but also uh, all the uh, Central and Eastern European countries, Russia, uh, China, India, uh, Bhutan, Mongolia. Uh, we're in lots of different places. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Central America, the Middle East. So it's a, it, it, the, the entire social economic strata that you could think of around the world it fits all those aspects. Um, from my years in international trade, I've always found the most complicated projects are the ones that have government financing or government backing. Do, do you find that to be it's the case? Still, it's still the case, although um, <laughs> we have a slightly different method to approaching it because of my years putting up the large plants, and those were all government projects. Uh, we have done uh, two aircraft carriers uh, for the U.S. Navy through Northrop Grumman with our marine systems. Uh, right now, we're doing an ex three expansions in South Africa in the Alembe district outside of Durban, and those are municipal projects. Uh, we're doing uh, large projects for uh, Nicaragua, which are government projects. Um, and we just did an expansion here at an airport uh, in St. Joseph, Missouri. Uh, so the answer is yes, they can be, uh, but our approach to it, again, we took that really simple approach. And mm -hmm. so it, they haven't been that complicated and they have been rather simple for us to implement uh, and conclude. It's, I guess the key is to learning how to work through those systems and USAID and Exim Bank and all the uh, resources that are available, you just have to kind of learn your way through work, you know, working through those processes. That's right. And we've used Exim Bank before, or I should say our customers have used Exim Bank before. Right. Uh, but we make it so simple that the governments just choose to go directly with us and then they just go out to bid for the uh, contractors that do the installation. Sounds beautiful. That's amazing. Well, bef uh, before we get into some of your stories, I want to give you an opportunity to brag a little bit on some of the awards your company has won because you've won a lot of awards. So maybe talk a little bit about some of the ones that mean a lot to you. We have an enormous amount of technology awards and we're about to receive another one right now from Frost and Sullivan, which will be our fourth award from them. And it's the uh, 2020 Global Company of the Year Award for Decentralized Water and Wastewater Treatment. Wow. Uh, this is under their best practices group. And so uh, we feel honored to get those things. But as far as sure. the export sales, in 2011, we have the Kansas Governor's Exporter of the Year Award. And then we have the President's E Award in 2012. Then we have the President's E-Star Award in 2016. Gosh. And frankly, uh, next year, we intend to uh, try to apply for our second E-Star Award. And there's only a handful of companies in the United States that have two E-Star Awards. Well, go get them. That's exciting. And it sounds like you have a great 
you know, possibility there. So, um, so you know, I think it's fun to get into uh, to some storytelling about your business and your business experience. So, so uh, maybe we can just pick a few countries, and uh, I know there's some that you talked to me about earlier. Uh, let's start with Mongolia, uh, because it's nice and remote, and I'd love to hear about, about that. So they, they wanted me to experience the traditional steps in a traditional gerb. So we drove six hours outside of Ulaanbaatar, and we uh, stayed in a traditional gerb uh, overnight, um, where Genghis Khan had his headquarters. And, uh, I froze, quite frankly, but um, uh, it was an experience. But right before we got to the uh, area where the girl was, uh, they insisted on us riding uh, double hump camels. Well, it just stopped raining. And I was wearing cotton slacks, so they got soaking wet. And kind of a smelly animal. And they're not very bright. They keep trying to stop to eat the leaves off trees. But get on the animal, they, they, they go all the way down, and then you slide on between the two humps. But when they stand up, their hind legs push up first, then they stand up at the front legs. So you're holding on really tight to that front hump. So they oh fall forward. Yeah, I, I just saw Lawrence of Arabia, and I think those were one humped camels, and that yeah. looked hard enough. <laughs> so, wow. That's, it was a beautiful country. Actually, yes. The steps are an amazing thing to see at least once. Uh, Mongolia is the least populated country per square kilometer or per square mile in the world. Uh, and it's because of the steps. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's an amazing thing to see. And you're very high elevation. So like, uh, even though it was July, when I woke up in the morning, the ground was frozen, but it gets really hot during the day. Yeah. So could you feel could you feel your breathing was impacted by that elevation or not really? Uh, actually, uh, for whatever reason, I end up traveling to a lot of, like last uh, year I was in, in Ethiopia at seven, over 7,000 foot elevation in that city. Yeah. Uh, and then in Bhutan, I was in the Himalayas oh, last wow. year and that was interesting. I had a five flights, 35 hours, then a one hour drive uh, around switchback roads in the mountains. Oh my monsoon season, <laughs> and then I had a shower and shave, and quickly give a two-hour presentation to the government officials there. So um, I don't know how you did that. Caffeine, I guess. I don't know. Except they just ordered another container from us this week, so that's good. Oh, good. That's yeah. good. Wow, that's that's amazing. Um, so uh, yeah, you mentioned Bhutan. I think you do. You have a story about Bhutan. So. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a kingdom, so it's not a very large country. It's less than 700,000 people, uh, but everything's uh, very formal there, and they wear formal uh, traditional clothing. So when I first got to the hotel, and I showered, and I came down with, and I dressed formally because I knew I was meeting government officials, so I had a jacket and tie on. I was carrying my briefcase. The gentleman came to grab my briefcase, and at first I thought it was a bellhop, but it was our distributor. And uh, he was wearing traditional man dress with long black socks and uh, dress shoes. And uh, uh, he was uh, helping me out to his uh, car so we can go to the meeting. Uh, that's when I recognized, recognized his face. And I was like, oh, you know, 
<laughs> so that would be and did he give you a man dress to wear or uh, no? no i don't think i would look i know good. that's not what you call them but <laughs> no because uh uh well i guess the socks would cover up all my shins but anyway no they, they there was no expectation that way plus i don't know that i would look natural in one and what are some of the um uh traditions in in business that you need to know about the you know cultural ways that you want to be careful when you're in Bhutan to adhere well, to it's every country uh what I don't do is discuss politics uh and when it's brought up by others I try to keep it as neutral and as brief as possible in the hopes right. that the conversation can go back to their culture uh one of the things that I'll do is I'll always order uh, their local beer at dinner and try to find and order their local meals, whatever their meals, whatever specialties they are. And uh, generally they're good. So I generally compliment them on those sorts of things. Uh, one trick we can do here is if you get on like www.cia.gov right. and then go to their country profiles. Right. Back when I was in high school and grammar school, we had encyclopedias. Well, nobody today knows what those are. You know, they, right. go, they go to Wikipedia. I go, remember. But, but, but that's that's but that CIA website under the country profiles has a really good concise thing about the country, their culture, their money, absolutely their politics, uh, their treaties, what languages they speak. Uh, absolutely, just lots of different things. So that's generally a good. Uh, resource to have uh, and it's yeah. updated on a fairly regular basis absolutely there's another book which i'm sure you're familiar with called kiss bow or shake hands and that's another one that covers most countries where you would work that's and there's great not a lot advice. of kissing and shaking going on right now due to the virus. <laughs> <laughs> no no thank goodness thank goodness uh but i bet there's some beautiful mass uh, from different parts of the world. Uh, um, so, all right, so I'm just uh, remembering some of the stories you mentioned to me. Uh, is there new business in Jakarta? Is that something you just started or you've had that well, for a while? We, we've been doing, uh, so we've been expanding into uh, Southeast Asia and Africa. And uh, Jennifer and I did a trade show in Jakarta uh, a year ago, July. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had lots of good meetings. The problem was, was um, every now and then you get sick, only it hadn't happened to me in quite some time. Oh, yeah. Really, really sick, violently ill. It was all we could do to finish the trade show and find our way home. Ugh. It's three flights. It's a long itinerary, like 28 hours to get back to Kansas. Ugh. But uh, it's one of those things. It, every now and then something like that occurs. Uh, you but, never forget it, though. Well, no, but that's what <laughs> carry a lot of medicines, right? So yeah, I yeah, had a bunch and that got yeah. us uh, through everything and it got us home. Right. Well, I mean, even before COVID, you know, I've been at trade shows, I've gotten sick. You shake, you shake lots of hands and you forget about touching your face or hand sanitizer. I think people are going to be much more aware of that now, even when COVID is gone. Uh, it's just good practice. And uh, it's just something we may not have thought about as much, you know, before, before this happened. So that's correct. And if you'd asked me a year ago that there'd be Americans walking around with masks on, 
I would have laughed like Hal and said, no, that's only something they do in Asia. Right. But uh, here we are. They're maybe laughing at us a little bit now. For, but so, um, so one of your, uh, one of the markets that you work with are breweries, I understand. So, and you mentioned one in Patagonia. Tell us a little bit about what your product does for breweries and then maybe the story behind that project. So we do a lot of uh, special wastewater treatment for what's considered very high strength wastewater. So mm -hmm. think about the wastewater that comes out of homes. It's considered regular strength wastewater, basically our toilets, showers, our sinks, our, uh, and things like that. Um, maybe a little bit of garbage disposal waste here in the United States, uh, not most of the rest of the world. <clears throat> Brewery strength wastewater so when they're done with all the grains and the hops, uh, it's a very high strength wastewater, but it's also very, very, very hot. So we do a special design that allows the wastewater to be screened and cooled down with some pretreatment before it goes to, with our screens, before it goes to our treatment modules for the final treatment. And it takes a lot of uh, uh, skill and know-how, but really experience. There's a lot of us here sure. that have spent uh, our entire lives in wastewater treatment. Uh, a good example is the engineer who got the first marine sanitation device certified for the U.S. Coast Guard. He still works for us in one of our factories, and he's 85. Gosh, that says a lot. And we have others here that are in their 70s or in their late 60s. And again, uh, they've spent their whole lives... Uh, uh, doing this. And we do have three PhDs on staff, one that specializes in uh, marine biology, one that specializes in water treatment, and another one that specializes in wastewater treatment. So what is Patagonia, where were you in Patagonia? Was it an urban area? Uh... No, it's, it's down. So uh, this is uh, in the southern part of Argentina. Uh, Chile right. also has the Patagonian region. You know, those two countries are really skinny as you get further south in South right. America, but it also right. gets further closer to Antarctica. So it's actually a colder right. region as well. Yeah. Uh, but it was outside of, uh, of uh, one of their uh, metropolitan areas, but okay. it was likely located there originally because of the water. I understand they have some beautiful national parks in Patagonia. Did you get to visit any of I that? Ha I have not, but it's on my, it's one of the things that I have on my list to visit, along with Lake Bacall in Siberia and Russia. I hear oh. it's the largest in, indoor in, uh, interior lake with an enormous amount of wildlife. And, and so I would, I really want to get there. Yeah. yeah, I know. That's the hard part about business trips is, is you know, trying to find a little bit of time to, to take in the country and the, you know, some of the important sites and historical I mean, we've, we've toured the Kremlin, so we did take time that way. Uh, one. Yeah. Uh, I, I was on the Great Wall in China, so I, I took a yes. brief detour one afternoon before meetings. Um, I, I did that, and I was wishing there was a Starbucks at the end because it was January, and it was really cold, but it was amazing. You're right. Uh, and I've been on top of a, a sacred mountain in uh, China where only... Chinese go, but I was only there to help troubleshoot the uh, wastewater treatment systems from all of their uh, cooking stalls and public bathrooms. Oh, uh, wow. What's it called? Do you... uh, Taishan. Taishan. 
Wow, that's amazing. So let me ask you something. Uh, has the U.S. embraced uh, reuse of water in a way that you think is really moving in the right direction? Uh, are we good at, at, at reusing water where we can and where we should? It's definitely moving in that direction, uh, but the country to embrace it, the first was Singapore because they did not want to rely on desalinated water nor water from Malaysia. I see. So Singapore, uh, about 20 years ago, passed a uh, R&D tax that if you located your water R&D there, you got special tax deductions and the idea was they wanted all of the technologies that they could find so that they could implement uh, what's called their uh, new water program. And it was about 12 years ago, they started recycling their wastewater 10% at a time, 10% year one, mm -hmm. then year two, it went up to 20% until year 10, it was 100% of their wastewater into drinking water. And so it was around that same time that San Diego was starting to educate the public about those opportunities. But uh, it, it was hard for everybody to get their heads around both black and gray water for right. drinking water. So yeah. they switched up and started going to gray water sources. And today, that's pretty much what's going on here in the US. But we are doing a lot of black and gray water recycling for washing floors. Uh, for uh, irrigation, for washdown of industrial equipment, uh, and things of that nature. I see. Eventually, though, I think the general public will get their heads around the fact that it is safe to properly recycle both black and gray water for drinking water uh, on an individual home basis, on an office building basis, and maybe even on an entire community basis. Wow. you're I, So you're saying black water can be turned into potable water. You are right. saying that. We make a membrane bioreactor that essentially cleans black and gray water so clean that there's no viruses in it and it's cleaner than rainwater. Wow. Well, yeah, I can imagine rainwater isn't as clean as you would think anyway. I would imagine rainwater needs to be go through some kind of cleaning system because it picks up what's in the air, right? Correct. Uh, and if it hits the surface, then it gets even dirtier. Of course. Right, like right. Moves in parking lots and things. Right. Uh, let's take California and the West Coast where they've had the, the fires. They've, they've had water issues for a long time. Is there a lot more that can be done as far, to, as, far as finding water to reuse? To, I mean... It, the low-hanging fruit is to treat and reuse the wastewater and uh, to uh, treat and use uh, stormwater. And both of the terms would be uh, wastewater and stormwater harvesting. Okay. And uh, is that pretty robust in California, for example? Actually, I believe Texas is ahead of California in those standards because Texas has some severe issues with uh, water as well. Yeah, uh, but um, I wouldn't define it by state. I mean, the entire West, uh, Arizona, yeah. Nevada, um, right. you know, Idaho, uh, parts of Montana, um, Wyoming, 
so, uh, you know, most of Kansas. In fact, I just read an article this morning uh, before I came to work. Uh, they're forecasting that most of the United States is going to have a warmer than normal uh, winter, and that most of the United States, with ex the exception of a handful of upper northwest and midwest states, is going to continue in the drought that we're in now. I didn't even realize you were in a drought. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so in other words, not a not much snow, not much rain. That's and it was the U.S. Uh, forecasting service that provided this uh, analysis uh, that appeared in today's newspaper. Yeah. Well, I also see that as an opportunity to create jobs if we expand water reuse and and expand those technologies. I would think there'd be a lot of good jobs for people in these areas, even here. I it creates opportunity. It's people with a need. We try to come up with a solution. So yeah. they, have a, they have a need. We offer a solution. They like our solution. It's affordable. Uh, yeah. And the answer is, yeah, we've been hiring. In fact, I'm interviewing somebody else this afternoon. Uh, uh, last topic I'd love to touch base on is, and we've just barely touched on it, is the use in residential around the world. And of course it applies here. Tell us about your systems and some of the places where you've implemented systems for residential. So we do have a product line that retrofits into existing septic tanks. So in a, a regular septic tank at a household will maybe do 10 to 30% of the treatment before the water leaves the tank and the ground is expected to do the rest. Uh, we have a product that retrofits into those. Uh, one line of them is very inexpensive and it turns it into an advanced wastewater treatment system, including 70% reduction of total nitrogen for the removal of nitrates. But our membrane bioreactor is also designed to retrofit into those same tanks. And that'll give you almost drinking water quality uh, from a regular septic tank. So uh, both of those give you water reuse capabilities. One, let's say for irrigation, and we do a lot of this for dachas in Russia and in Eastern Europe with the inexpensive line, and the other one for uh, uh, toilet flushing. In fact, the other technology that I talked about is the only one certified in the world to treat both black and gray water and bring it back inside the home for flushing toilets. Wow, and are most of the customers individual customers or is this through municipalities or a little of both? How does that work? Actually, most of, it's through pro most of that is through private development. Oh, I see. I see. And, and the end user ends up being an individual customers, but most of it is developers, people with a need. Okay. So you said Russia. Where are some other places in the world where there's, they're using that technology? For well, you know, surprisingly, um, I, I said Russia, right? And in Russia, yeah. one of the two countries that I said doesn't really need to reuse their water, Canada. The same thing is, is happening in Canada. There's, so there's an economic factor that's coming into all of this. Uh -huh. Water has been, uh, the full price of water has never been charged to the end users worldwide. And so for years, the, at the water conferences all around the world, they've been trying to educate people on the value of water so that the end user can realize that the value of water is a lot more than what they're currently paying for it with the idea of raising the rates more rapidly. And that's right. what's happening. They're raising the rates more rapidly. 
So there's an economic component to this. A really good example is last year at our large environmental conference here in the United States, Biomicrobics received a technology award for a very small winery out in the state of California where they put our systems in. And in one year, they calculated, they treated and reused 1,300,000 gallons, 1.3 million gallons of wastewater was treated and reused in one year for that little winery. Wow. They, they pay a lot of money for water in that sure. case. And I think uh, through this year, it's now over 5 million gallons. They kept counting over the last couple of years. Gosh. Uh, so these are the kinds of things that have an economic potential. So not just an environmental impact and not just an, avail an availability uh, situation, but an economic impact. And I guess it would also create an opportunity for countries if, if, if they use that more than they can also store water for emergencies. I mean, I would think there needs to be more uh, like we do with oil, have reserves of water uh, you know, for really bad times. I don't know. That's, a, that's exactly right. Um, it's, it, it's an opportunity to store water for emergencies. And a good example would be what's been happening in the West with the wildfires, fire water storage tanks. They could be strategically located throughout these forests to be used. Uh, I was just in uh, Wyoming a couple of weeks ago and there's a wildfire uh, very 40 miles from Laramie where I was and ash was dropping on our heads and there was smoke in the sky, yeah. smell yeah. it, breathe it. Well, they were showing video of the planes that were fighting that fire and you have special planes that fly low. They skim water from the local lakes. They close them to fishing and recreation right. and they fill up their storage tanks that way. Then they take off back into the sky and drop that water over the forest. Wow. Well, they can have uh, uh, storage tanks that could help uh, supplement that for those uh, water sources. Absolutely. Well, Gosh, we've covered so many interesting subjects, and I think it's really important for people to be aware of, of water reuse issues. We're all affected by it, and we all need to be cognizant. I'm, I'm on my little soapbox here, but we all need to be cognizant of saving water and conserving water. So I think it's important. Gosh, this was just a fascinating discussion today, Bob. Thank you so much for being here and and talking to us. I just want to say to our listeners, we would love to get you involved in this conversation about this episode. And, you know, we're always having general discussions about exporting as well, but you can reach out to me on exportstoriespodcast.com and post your comments on the episode page. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. So uh, we're, create, we're creating a community of exporters here and we want to hear from you. Bob, thank you so much for, for being a guest today. It was, we really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Export Stories. Perhaps you have a good export story that you would like to share with us or a comment about today's podcast. You can send your ideas and comments to our website at exportstoriespodcast.com or to Betsy Olam on LinkedIn. Subscribe to our newsletter at exportstoriespodcast.com so we can alert you of upcoming episodes and share resources with you. We're building a community of export storytellers, so please share this podcast with your friends who have interest in exporting. 